When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Friday to all of you out there. Friday the 13th. Still no Uncle Jimmy. He's uh, recovering uh, from COVID. And we're joined again by big kinfolk, Jay Flake, a Nashville comedian who's I've met at Zany's months ago. Uh, Jay, welcome back to the show. Good to have you. Thank you for having me back, man. I'm glad to be back. All right. Well, listen, I have a fantastic show planned for us. I, you know, I called Uncle Jimmy yesterday and told him, I was like, I think we just had our best show yesterday uh, when you weren't there. Uh, I have an even better show uh, planned for us today. Uh, Professor D. Delano Squire is going to join us from Washington, D.C. He's written a column about Nick Cannon, COVID and critical race theory. He's tied all those things together to make a comment about the importance of family structure. We'll talk to him about that. Uh, a good friend of mine over social media that many of you may have heard of, Hotep Jesus. We're going to hear from the Hotep Nation. Hotep Jesus, and I, I told him, I can't even remember his real name because I told him I hate calling him Hotep Jesus. I can't, I, but anyway, Hotep Jesus from Twitter, from Instagram, social media, he's got his own podcast. He's going to join us. He's written a column about Brittany Renner and P.J. Washington. I wanted to hear his take on that. You heard us discuss it uh, yesterday. And Greg Couch will go back out to Chicago. Greg wants to re-argue Art Browse and the Baylor sex scandal. He's written another column about it. Because Art Browse and his attorney feel like the NCAA have basically completely exonerated him. Greg disagrees. So we'll re-argue Art Browse later in the show with Greg Couch. But before we do any of that, you know what I got to do. I got to start a fire. And this one's a bit more personal than previous uh, opening fire starters. My podcast sidekick, <clears throat> Uncle Jimmy contracted COVID this week. It's been a sobering, frustrating, and disconcerting experience, causing me to float between concern and anger. Uncle Jimmy isn't my uncle. We share no blood relationship. A love of laughter and comedic performance forged our familiar bond two decades ago. Uncle Jimmy called the morning radio show I hosted in Kansas City under the name Jimmy the Freak. He wanted to crack a joke about the Kansas City Chiefs, his favorite team. I don't remember the punchline. I remember laughing so hard that I asked the call screener to get Jimmy's phone number the next time he called the show. I wanted the freak to regularly crack jokes on my radio show. That was the beginning of an unlikely working relationship and friendship 
that quickly turned into a big brother, little brother connection. Jimmy is six years older than me, but I'm the big brother. He's half my size. Our backgrounds are disparate. Jimmy had no real relationship with his father. My dad was my idol and best friend. After age nine, Jimmy's grandmother raised him. He joined the Marines. He married, divorced, and fathered three daughters by age 30. When I met Jimmy, he worked as a nightclub DJ and sanded hardwood floors. He drank, smoked weed, and caroused excessively. He tagged himself the freak because he reveled in being seen as an inner city heartthrob and ladies man. His outlook on and approach to life differed significantly from my own. He believed racism defined his station in life. I told him his actions controlled his destiny and current circumstance. For the first 10 years of our friendship, we worked flawlessly together on air and battled ferociously over our contradictory worldviews off air. The contradictions made for terrific radio content. Jimmy's stereotypical point of view and life contrasted mightily with my own. I talked and wrote with the diction of a college graduate. I lived in the suburbs, socialized with the mayor, professional athletes, the city's business leaders, and was unburdened by the responsibilities of kids and baby mamas. Listeners to my radio show loved the repartee between Jimmy and I, but couldn't fully grasp the connection. Sometimes I couldn't either. Jimmy woke up every day trying to prove his loyalty to his black skin color and his loyalty to me for befriending him and giving him an opportunity to elevate his station. Once at a radio remote, Jimmy tried to fight a radio caller he believed had disrespected me earlier in the week or at some point or in a phone call. Jimmy yelled at me, you can't let that man disrespect you like that. I shouted back, how can someone I have no respect for disrespect me? The disagreement between Jimmy and I led to a long come to Jesus conversation between the two of us. Like a lot of black men, Jimmy cared way too much about the respect of others. I really only care about self-respect. About six years into our friendship, Jimmy fathered the first of his two sons. That took a real toll on our relationship. I nearly gave up on Jimmy. Thankfully, he didn't give up on himself. Those two boys are his greatest blessing and gave him a purpose in life. Living a life in service of those two kids changed Jimmy's worldview and made him a more responsible person. All this week, I've thought about his two sons, James and Jamil. Where would they be without their dad? How could they make it? That's why I floated between concern and anger since Jimmy contracted COVID. The concern is obvious. I work with Jimmy inside our Nashville studio every day. So do several other people. This weekend, our makeup artist is traveling to Rhode Island to visit family, including her 96-year-old grandmother. She's vaccinated, but she's justifiably paranoid about endangering her grandmother. I've had friends and family members contract COVID. 
but Jimmy's the first person I've known with the virus who I engage with on a daily basis, Monday through Friday. For the past 18 months, I've been reluctant to speak about COVID because I'm not confident in my beliefs. That's why I'm angry. Politics has compromised information, the medical industry, and the media to the point that no one really knows what to believe or trust when it comes to COVID. If political correctness forbids us from discussing the virus's origin, why should we believe our government officials are determined to seek causes and cures by any means necessary? Everything feels like political theater and agenda. Do masks help? Do vaccines work? Should we constantly wash our hands? Or is COVID just a roulette wheel striking its victims at random? Uncle Jimmy contracted it. I sit at a desk next to him for two hours, five days a week. He's at home coughing and battling a fever. I'm sitting at work fantasizing about a Snickers candy bar. Which brings me to my main point of anger. I'm angry with myself. The only thing I truly believe is that I'm in control of my destiny and I've jeopardized my destiny by being extremely irresponsible with my health. Gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. I've been in a lifelong fight with gluttony. I've won some battles, but I'm losing the war. I've loved everything about my move from Los Angeles to Nashville a year ago, except the impact it's had on my diet. Music City rekindled my love affair with fried foods. The move south slowed the momentum I built addressing my weight problem. Uncle Jimmy's COVID fight snapped me back to reality. He's the most loyal friend I've ever had. It feels like he took the coronavirus bullet for me. I have to repay him, myself, the rest of my family and friends by winning my war with gluttony. That's my fire today. We're gonna roll out to Uncle Jimmy's house here in a second and check in on Uncle Jimmy. But Jay, yesterday when we wrapped up the show, I commented like, damn Jay, it look like you done lost 10, 15, 20 pounds since the last time I saw you. And you commented like, yeah, me and my wife, my, my wife's on me. COVID basically yeah. is yeah, yeah. kind of shaking you a little bit too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually contract it, but, man, the whole shutdown, it was just a lot of drinking and eating, a lot of eat snacks, getting fat, sitting in the house. Uh, so I hit a point where she looked at me one day and was like, hey, bro, we, we got to do something. Like, you just can't be sitting here just gaining weight. So she gave me on a little diet plan right now, a little intermediate fasting from time to time also. So I'm trying to knock the pounds off, man. It's What do you think about my perspective, like, I don't know what to believe or do about COVID. There's so much conflicting information that the only thing I can really think about, particularly in this moment, having had Jimmy correct is like, I got to take care of me and do whatever I can do to get myself in the best health. That's the only thing I really believe. Everything else just seems confusing to me. No one in this country knows. Everything is confusing. No one in this country knows what to do with COVID. We've been led so much information, told to wear a mask, don't have to wear a mask. You need 
two shots. You might need a booster shot. You know, if you catch COVID, you don't need a shot for, you know, six months because your immune system is. It's like nobody knows what to do. It changes every day. Double mask up. Not where is what do we do? So the only thing we can do is get ourselves in the best shape to get ready to fight a virus that if it hits our body, that we don't know how it's going to react to our body because for everybody it's different. Some people get it. Nothing happens. Some people get it. It's like they got the flu and then some people get it and they die. You just just never know what's going to happen. Let's roll out to Jimmy's house, but I, I got another question I want to ask you just about being a comedian and having to go out in the public. But let's roll out to uh, Uncle Jimmy's house and check in uh, uh, on Uncle Jimmy for ourselves. And uh, Jim, I got to say, first of all, you look suited and booted. Are you wearing a sport coat? Have you ever known me not to wear a sport coat? Uh, when you're sick with COVID and battling a fever, <laughs> are you at a hotel or are you really sick? Um, first of all, I'm I, I'm being quarantined, and that's all you need. I, I, I'm following doctor's orders, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, could you define quarantined for us? Uh, I'm following doctor's orders. Uh, I'm containing my environment, and uh, that's what I'm doing. Now, if you need, if you want any more information than that, I'll give you my doctor's number and you can talk to him. But right now you're getting involved with my hip. <laughs> Jim, when I've called you this week, you sounded like you were on your deathbed. You sounded like, I, I mean, I was calling you every three or four hours. And now we come out to you via Skype you look like you just came from the barber shop. It looks like you're on your way to the firelight uh, to go uh, DJ a party. Come on, Jim. Are you are you are you in Las Vegas right now? What what's going on here? I don't know anybody as sick as you sounded that that wakes up and puts on a suit, puts on a hat, and and looks like they're about ready to step out into a nightclub. You know why, Jason? This is what they mean when they say God is good. <laughs> now, what? <laughs> JJ, I got to tell you something, for real. Because you did a nice little, that, that little monologue you did was nice. But let me tell you something, man. You full of shit, just like my kids. You run around here talking about, act like, oh, I care so, what you care about me. I damn it, I found out on Monday that I had Corona, hot damn it, Tuesday morning, my kids got people knocking on my door talking about, Mr. Dodds, we're here to incubate you. Well, how the hell you here to incubate me and I ain't in no damn hospital? Huh? That sound like you. I got a question for you, man. Who in the hell is this little home wrecker you got sitting in my chair? <laughs> I'm a home wrecker, Jimmy. I'm a home wrecker. Come on, Jimmy. I mean. Huh? Look, man, this is Hollywood, man. The show must go on. Hey, man, I'm going to tell you just like Like Greg Poppy would say, next man up. What you want me to say? Hey, I got to get off the bench and get some playing time, coach. (laughs) I'm going to tell you like Eddie Kane said. You want to be me. 
God damn it, you sick motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Don't try to take me down. Hey, this might come see you, Otis, for the next couple of days. It might come see you, Otis. It's Jay Flake here. Now you over there. You won't take vacation time. Just say you're going to take vacation time. You know, Jason, he's sitting up there, probably got a couple of blue M's over there, rubbing his feet, cutting his hair, and all that. He's somewhere with no mosquitoes. And this is what happened, Jimmy. You want to go out? I'm going to be here. I'm going to step up. Your big kid folk, Jay Flake, is here. Let me tell you something. You better not let me hear that they giving you the white cake. If I hear that they done gave you the white cake, we going to have a some sandwich. Jason up here talking about, I don't know what I would do without Uncle Jimmy. Your ass is worse than Jerry Jones, Whitlock. I want you to know that. I couldn't even get my damn foot twisted back around right until you bring this little floosy in here. When it got to a damn Andy Dalton. I'm going to tell you something, fella. Many have tried and many have been denied. Let's start with, let, let's start with Kid and Play. Let, 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 let's start with Eddie Griffin. Let's start with Frank Calamari. Let's start with that number one draft pick from the Washington Redskins, LeVar Arrington. I heard him yesterday, too. Let me tell you something. Uncle Jimmy don't swap butt juice with nobody. Get your ass out of my chair and get over there in that other chair. <laughs> oh, this is my chair for right now. You Drew Bledsoe, I'm Tom Brady, baby. That's how this going to go. You slipped up, and guess who's stepping in? It's going to be me. <laughs> Jay, I'm going to tell you this. Jimmy, hold on, Jimmy. Let, I'm going to tell you this. The reason why Jay is here is because of this reaction I got. I knew that uh, Jay is basically hydrochloroquine, the cure for COVID. I'm talking, I'm talking to uh, Jimmy yesterday, and he's sick and on his deathbed. Man, I can't barely get out of bed. You come on, do the show. We had the best show we ever had. Tune in this morning. Tune in this afternoon. Jimmy suited and booted and ready to come to work. Ready to come to work. Hydrochloroquine or anything. That's who, that's who Jay is. He'll be here next week with a bubble suit on. <laughs> vaccinated, <laughs> double vaccinated. and triple vaccinated. Right. Ready to go. Ready to go. So it's working out beautifully. I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, you have any final thoughts before we roll out to D.C.? Hey, man. Um... Get the hell up out of my chair, man. I'm telling you right now. Don't get comfortable. All right? Just, it, it, it's just, just temporary, young blood. It's just temporary. I'm going to tell you. Don't let hey, this the chair feel real good, Uncle Jimmy. I don't know what type of leather they use. It feel real good. I mean, it's hey, easy man, me to step look, in when you got, I got a little bit of Kansas City in me. Westside Kansas City is in me a little bit. I got Memphis in me and I got Nashville. Woo it's the best of both worlds, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm on your heels, baby. <laughs> Jim, we're going to let you go. Hey, man, thank you very much, man. I bet you we'll Appreciate see Jimmy on Monday. He'll be completely cured. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I, I did want, on a more serious note, Jay, I did want to ask you, though, as a comedian, what you in the conversation between you and your wife about going back out in these public spaces, getting on the road, how much concern, how, how is, is the vibe different inside the clubs? How, how, how is COVID impacted and, and the restrictions being lifted? How has that impacted you as a comedian? At first, shows was real slow. Nothing pretty much going on. Or he's going to be half capacity. Uh, we sitting in green rooms with masks on. 
so after the shows is over with, you know, we putting the, uh, the mic condom on the shows, switching them in and out, uh, switching microphones in and out. Some of them wiping the microphones down between each person. Uh, we try to social distance as much as we can in the green room. After the shows, there's no taking pictures. You pretty much couldn't sell merch because you didn't want anybody, you know, coming up or be near you. So my practice was just I do my show, get paid, and I'm leaving. Like, I, you know, I didn't want to catch anything out telling jokes and, this and bring it back home to my family. I got, I got a wife and three kids at home. I don't need them catching it. So, and I stayed away, of play, away from certain places like Atlanta. Because I don't think it ever went to Atlanta. I don't know if COVID, Atlanta and the whole state of Florida. I don't think COVID ever went there because they ain't never closed. They shut down for like a Saturday. It was like, oh, we back up Monday. I was shocked and not, this is what I heard because those of you that have been watching the show know I've transitioned out of that lifestyle. But I heard the strip clubs never shut down in Atlanta. I mean, I don't think they did. I think it was the entire time. COVID slapping them cheeks. <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you about my workout routine and my daily routine that now includes Built Bar. You need to try Built Bar. You can compete athletically. If you compete athletically, you need Built Bar. Looking for something that will get you through your day, you need Built Bar. Built Bars are fantastic. They have over 10 flavors to choose from, like double chocolate, strawberry, and mint brownie. They often come out with special editions like the new Rocky Road, also low in carbs, calories, and sugars. Built Bars have phenomenal tastes, unlike their competitors. But, just, but don't just take my word for them. Try them for yourself. Go to Built.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS. For 15% off at Built.com, join me. It's part of my new lifestyle that I'm going to use to correct my weight problem. Fearless. Use that code for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Time to roll out to Washington, D.C. and check in on our man, Delano Squires, the smartest man on the show, has written another terrific column. This time he has somehow connected Nick Cannon, COVID and critical race theory to make a point about the importance of a biblical family structure and to defend the nuclear family. Delano, uh, welcome to the show. I, I, I want to start here, give people some a little bit of background uh, on what sparked your column. But Nick Cannon uh, went on was it a, a popular radio show and, and said that basically reading from your article, Cannon sounded exactly like the pseudo intellectual anti monogamy rock star that he is. He claimed that marriage is a Eurocentric practice that is rooted in property ownership. He stated that women lead in the relationship and are in control of the baby making process. Cannon has seven children with four women. Three of his children were born less than two weeks apart. When asked how he could spend time with all of his children since they are in different households, he responded that time is a man-made construct. Wow. Uh, go ahead and explain your 
column and point of view on all this before I hop in with my take. Sure. So it's um, Nick Cannon is, you know, he, he's obviously a wealthy celebrity. As I said, he's an entertainer, a rock star. So um, I'm not saying his views are necessarily representative of all people, but the notion that he um, was explaining in terms of um, family and not needing marriage to have children is something that we've seen playing out in this country for the better part of 60 years. And as I, as I said in the column, um, at this point, about 40% of all children um, are born to unwed parents. And even though it may not have the same effects on Nick Cannon's children as it does on, on other children, um, those effects are going to be there. Um, and what, I'm, what I was trying to argue in the column is that um, the biblical approach to family, right, and taking a, you know, in a different direction, um, the nuclear family, right, even if you're not a Christian, provides a certain level of um, stability and protection um, that sort of buffers and can can help in times of uncertainty. And obviously the last year or so we've seen that play out in terms of um, you know people losing jobs, the things that are going on in kids' schools, um, some women being forced to get vaccinated before they go to work, um, pregnant women being uh, you know encouraged to be vaccinated. All of those things have led to impacts that the nuclear family can sort of protect against. And, and that's the argument that I was trying to make. So if a woman is telling her husband, look, th this, the stuff that they're trying to do on my job is, is crazy and I'm, I don't want to submit to it. Um, or if they see that their children are being indoctrinated in their classroom and, and they decide that we don't want this for our children, having the two of them there together gives them options on how to respond to those things. And that's the argument that, that I was trying to make in the column. You made a hell of an argument uh, where I would jump in on this is everything Nick Cannon said in this interview. Marriage is a Eurocentric concept. Uh, women are in control of the baby making process. Uh, time is a man made construct and I don't really need to be there. What I'm hearing Nick Cannon say and that women Basically, he's saying lead in the relationship. And, and mm -hmm. I, I've heard other Dwayne Wade uh, say this about Gabrielle Union, and she's the leader in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of men not they don't even they don't state it, but they live a life that says she's in control. And what just quite honestly I'm looking at people not man enough to take on the responsibilities that God has given them or they're even unaware that God has given them those responsibilities or they're completely uninterested and they've come up with their own concept of what works and what's best for kids and family and all this stuff. And I don't care how much money Nick Cannon makes seven kids, four baby mamas, three of them born within two weeks of each other, they're going to pay a price for yep. that kind of irresponsible family structure. It may not be a financial price. They may have all the best shoes. They may wear designer clothes. They may have access to, to the best, most expensive schools and all that. 
but mentally, emotionally, will they be fit to handle this world in a real way? They better hope Nick Cannon's money never runs out. And this this lifestyle that he's modeling for others that don't have his wealth, they're really going to experience the price for adopting this attitude. And and that's why, Delano, I've been so adamant about, like, Nick Cannon to me sounds like a punk. Hmm. He ain't man enough for responsibility. He's a punk. And so he's trying to define it all and put it all off of <laughs> the woman is told. I couldn't wear a condom. That's the woman's call. And <laughs> that, that, that's her decision to have a baby. It's and again, this is that whole left wing agenda. My body, my choice. The one only the woman has a say so on whether we mm-hmm. slaughter this baby in the womb. It, everything. There's a group of men and and. That think like, and again, it's us. I'm just going to, not that they don't have this issue as well, but this black culture that we have built has put all the responsibility and burden on women. And I would just like to ask everybody, go take a look at the results. For, mm. for your dereliction in duty and putting all this responsibility on the woman and not holding up your end of the bargain, look at the damn results. They're not good. And so that's I, I just hear someone going on a radio show. Is it was I, I don't I was I kind of assumed it was the Breakfast Club, but, it but I'm not sure. <laughs> I just hear somebody just completely rejecting their responsibilities. Yeah, and and that's I was struck by that too. And even when the when the interview started, um, there was really an opportunity for the conversation to take on a different tone because one of the hosts, you know, commented on the fact that Nikana has as many children as he has. And he responded by saying to another host, DJ Envy, well, you have five kids. And DJ Envy said, yeah, and I have six, uh, six one on the way. But DJ Envy could have said, I have all of my children with my wife, right? We're building something together. It's not, I have two here, I have one here, I have three over there. Because those things, as you said, they, they have an effect. And, and one of the things I said in my in my article, um, and just, you know, my children are young, so I'm not, I can't speak to what it's like, you know, to parent teenagers, but even in the short period of time that, that I've been a dad, you come to learn very quickly that children really desire your presence more than the presence that you may buy them, right? And when your kid, son or daughter, sits up in the middle of the night and they're screaming out and they're calling for daddy and they rush down the hallway, or you rush to them to pick them up. They may have had a bad dream. They they may, you know, I talked about a high fever. You know, they, they need you. And you can't be there if you have four kids by three different women and you live with your girlfriend and her children. And and that's the part of, you know, the equation that people like Nick Cannon are not, are not picking up on. And again, as you said, he has money. He can pay people to go to games and and they'll FaceTime him in and he can say that he's being present. But for, you know, the majority, the vast majority of men in these situations who are not Nick Cannon, um, they don't have those resources. And the the thing that I I want people to realize is that 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 void that is often left by a father who is not who is either not present 
or not as present as he should or could be is one that is extremely hard to close if, if it ever does close. And you can hear it, you know, when you read President Obama's you know, biography, he talked about his longing to, to, to spend time with his dad or even the professional athletes who, after they've made millions of dollars, will sit on TV shows and say, you know, even in, as a pro, I was trying to prove something to my father. And really what it is, is, is kids having to prove to their parents, particularly to their dads, that they are worthy of love, support, and affection. And, and that puts kids in a, in a very, very you know, difficult situation where they're looking, they go looking for that affirmation um, in different ways, whether in the gangs or the arms of, of an older man, um, in ways that often are, are very um, negative for them. You just said a mouthful right there. <clears throat> I'm not gonna ask you to respond to this, but I, I'm gonna jump on and pounce that. And, and so a conversation I've had with a lot of my friends, a lot of my family members, lot, I, I'm 54 years old. This whole little new generation seems far more emasculated, far more feminine than my generation. And I'm not trying to sit up here like I'm some big tough guy or whatever, but, but when, when I look at the kids, now the, this younger generation and of men, it's every te- television commercial, when I go to college campuses or whatever, and I look at us, the black kids like, wow, a lot of femininity running around, a mm. lot more mm. than when I was growing up. And you just made a hell of a point. <clears throat> if you spend your childhood looking for the affection of a man, doesn't shock me that uh, when you get older, you're still looking mm. for the affection of a man and you don't care how it's packaged or how it's presented. Yeah. People can hate me for it. I don't, I do not in any way dislike the LGBT community. I, I don't, but uh, we have to take an honest look at the ramifications of 70, 75% of our kids growing up in single parent homes or grandmama homes, denied <clears throat> the relationship they're supposed to have with their fathers, there's some real impact to it. And it's, it's staring at us right in the face and people wanna be in denial of it and pretend like it's not can kiss my butt the same as I said yesterday. But Delano, you wrote a brilliant paragraph uh, in your column that I want to read, pointing out the irony and the hypocrisy of the Mm. feminist movement. Our culture celebrates women who run large, complex enterprises unless it's their home. It idolizes women who dedicate their lives to educating children, unless they homeschool. It rejects the thought of women laboring under the authority of a man, unless it's her boss. It opposes any notion that a woman should have to submit to anyone, unless It's the government bureaucrat who tells her what she must do to continue receiving her benefits. Man, that's (laughs) a hell of a paragraph. That's a hell that's a hell of a thought and pointing out the irony in that way. And they want to adopt all these biblical principles as long as it's not in connection to a husband. That's my takeaway from it works in all these other areas except at home. I, right. I, I just, I, 
that's the point I took from it. Was there another point I was supposed to take from it? So, so one of the things that I didn't say that's connected to that, right, is, um, and I'll continue the, the irony, is that when you hear feminists and Marxists talk, and oftentimes they, you know, they, they have the same ideology, so they, they have the same worldview, one of the things that their encouragement, their push for women to be out of the home and in the workforce, right, it's, it's rooted in a woman's financial independence, right? They want women to have their own careers and more importantly, or just as importantly, make their own money. These same people also support very, very generous government benefits, specifically to, to women and mothers uh, and specifically of young children. So, the, so if you take a step back, you can see clearly what's going on. It's not that these people don't want women dependent financially on someone, is that they want them dependent on the government and not on their husbands. And to me, that recipe is a complete disaster because nobody in this world loves my wife more than I do. No one is more in tune to her needs than I am. And no one is, is looking out for her interests more than, than I am, right? And, and even before we, we had kids, I remember you know when we were, I'm not sure if we were dating or we might've been early in our marriage, and she was actually finishing her PhD. And I was happy to be a copy boy, hole puncher, hold a camera when she was defending you know, her dissertation. So I've, I've always supported her and will always support her in, in you know, whatever endeavors are near and dear to her heart. But for the, for, the, for the feminist, for the Marxist, for the politician, she is only useful to the extent that she accepts their worldview and parrots their ideology. Um, and I wish more people would see that. And that's that's why I wrote that paragraph, because those things are clear. You know, if 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 a woman goes into a room and people start talking about what they do for a living, and she says, you know, I'm an educator. They say, oh, my gosh, it's so great. But if she says, yeah, but I, but I homeschool, they'll say, well, what else do you do? As if caring for cultivating and nurturing um, the next generation is not one of, if the most important job that, that anyone could do. Um, so we, we, in many respects, we're not honest about, you know, how we see family and family roles and family structure, um, because as I said, people will undermine women who make those choices um, and celebrate women who make, you know, totally different choices. So if, if you're totally dedicated to your family and your family enterprise, you know, you're wasting your talents and, and, you know, you should be in the workforce. But you'll be celebrated if, if you say that you lean in at work and you spend 60 hours a week um, making sure that, that uh, shareholders get, you know, high dividends at the end of the month. So, Delano, before I let you go, I want to circle back to our conversation yesterday uh, mm-hmm. because I, I just... I think it's so important. And we were talking about the the school system in Atlanta that was doing these segregated classrooms, uh, you know, white students in six classes, black students in two classes. And we had the discussion yesterday. We started the discussion about integration. Is has it been a failure? And 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 I was making the point, I just going back at it again in terms of I'm not opposed at all to integration, but the foundation 
of inter, any integration, no different than you and your wife integrated together. You joined as one and that's based off of shared values. If you and your wife's values were diametrically opposed, you likely wouldn't be married or you'd likely be already be divorced. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm looking at in terms of just jumping off your conversation today about these feminist ideas that have been imposed on the black community. Nick Cannon is expressing a feminist point of view. He's an idiot. He has no idea that that's what he's doing, but that's what he's doing. Many, I don't want to call them, but many of the people just espouse, they have no idea where this stuff comes from. That they, right. they have, all they know is, this is what the rappers are saying. This is what the culture is saying. Oh, this is what Twitter's saying. This will get me likes and retweets over Twitter. Yas, queen, you go, girl. Black girl magic. Blah. Everything is about the woman, the woman. And she's the leader now. And I get to fall back and just throw my penis wherever I want. I don't have to put a mm. condom on it. I don't have to do anything because it's all on her. She, she's the Stacey Abrams is the man. Kamala Harris is the man. And mm. I'm just a bitch that does whatever I'm told and, and I have no responsibility for it. It's crazy to me. But back to, I'm just, I go back to, it's hard. I don't, I'm just telling you as a, as a black man and a proudly black one at that, but mostly I'm a proud Christian and I, I love this country. But if you have these values, I don't want to be around Nick Cannon. I don't want to integrate with, Rick, with Nick Cannon and people who think like this. People that think, yeah, we're gonna, I'm going to lay back and do whatever the hell I want, and the woman's going to be the leader of this family. I, I don't want to integrate with him. And so that when I look at why integration isn't working is because the left has shoved black people into a culture that totally goes against our religious upbringing and, mm. and the values that got us from slavery all the way through to 1965. We've been, we were a, a modern miracle. What we overcame, survived, and right. fought for and achieved all the way up through about 1965. And then for the last 60 years, we've been sent another direction that I don't blame anybody for like, man, if y'all down with this, I ain't down with y'all because that's how I feel. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm gonna respond in two ways, right? One, I'm gonna talk about the, the, the challenge, the danger. And then the second one, I'll, I'll say briefly about the opportunity. Um, th that challenge is real. And I, I talked about it in the column in terms of um, the education piece. And when I say education, I see education as equal parts scholarship and discipleship. We tend to think about the academic, most people tend to think about the academic side of it, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. But there's also, you know, a part of education that's about moral formation and right and wrong. And when you look at what the schools are pushing now um, to our kids, a lot of it is all wrong. And, I, and I mentioned, I've mentioned before, um, at public schools and charter schools, they're trying to introduce children to gender ideology, right? They want three-year-olds to know what the word transgender, non-binary means. Um, they never say what the academic benefit is of this you know, instruction would be, but these are the things that are being pushed on children in schools all across this country. So, so even at my daughter's school, um, 
it was I think it was February 2020. They put up some signage around BLM and they they had some pictures of people who have been, I believe, you know, killed by the police. And when I when I emailed the principal about what his thoughts are on BLM and and what is the school's mission and in putting these things, you know, in the school, I never heard a response. Um, My daughter didn't go back the next school year because I was adamant. And when my wife and I talked about it, it was like. I don't want these people forming my child's mind or her morals. That's our job. And and that's what I talked about in the article in terms of growing in my faith and hearing from other pastors sort of articulate this and saying a student, any student is going to be like their teacher. And when your kids spend 10 hours a day in that environment, getting those values and you're trying to scrub them off for the 30 minutes before school and the 30 minutes after school, and you do that for 12 years, um, you shouldn't be surprised that by the time they come home from freshman year at college, that they hate everything it is that you taught them. So, so that is the danger. The opportunity is this though, as these things become more open, more prevalent, and more parents wake up to it, I think what you're going to see is a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational movement of people who have whether it's Christian, conservative, traditional values, pushing back on it and saying no more. So people who may not have ever voted for the same candidates are now being boxed into sort of the the label of conservative because now to be conservative is to believe that there is such a thing as men and women and that there are only two sexes and, you know, men can't turn into women and women can't turn into men. If you articulate those things, now you're deemed a conservative. So I think that's an opportunity. I think we are seeing uh, a decline in the um, sort of the, the, the effectiveness of race politics. And what I hope what we see that rises in its ashes is, a, is, a, is a, a more of an emphasis on value politics. Delano, I was trying to let you go. <laughs> you done opened up a can uh, and you got me passionate because everything you just talked about is what I'm trying and we're trying to accomplish here at the blaze and particularly with the fearless project. Everything when the particularly stuff when you're talking about the opportunity, you and I see the exact same opportunity. Like, hey, it's like when I talk to my mother, I, I, I'm sitting there like, you really going for this shit? I mean, <laughs> really? I mean, really? I mean, right. and, and I'm trying to shake her up and other people up to like, if we don't come together as Christians, if, if those of us with shared values and shared beliefs don't come together, regardless of our skin color, mm-hmm. we're going to be living in a world where they're telling us there's no difference between men and women and that men can get pregnant. And cause they're already down this path. And I've been telling, and I don't care who it pisses off. Uh, you know, I got in a discussion with Megan Kelly about it. And I love Megan Kelly. I'm not criticized, but I got in a discussion with her where I was like, Hey, if we keep going down this path, they're going to legalize pedophilia. Cause, and I've been telling friends of mine that for a decade, the path we're on, they're going to legalize pedophilia. 
That's mm-hmm. the path we're on. And so I keep saying to people, and that's what this whole project is about. This is why I wanted to connect with Glenn Beck and the Blaze people and all that stuff. We have to go back to square one, one nation under God, period, right. end of story. Nothing else matters. If you're a believer, I don't care whether you're black, white, green, yellow, whatever. I don't even care. I, honest to goodness, if you believe in God, I really don't even care if you're racist. I, I really don't. And I know I'll get killed for that. But I'm just God can fix that. Right. But if you don't believe in God, there's nothing he can do for you. And there's really nothing I can do for you. And so that that. Racism, it's just a sin. And like the sins that I have to correct and work on and hopefully through the grace of God, you know, I keep moving in a positive direction. I just want to connect with people that we have that foundation. We believe in God. That's the only thing that's going to save this country and not having us having all of our freedom of speech stripped. You got Jay, I'll try to bring you in this, but you ain't got because this conversation is really smoking hot. But it's just like I'm looking at comedians scared to tell the truth because Mm. of this environment we've created, this cancel culture. Ministers and comedians are supposed to say things no one else would say. They're legalized to speak truths that no one else can speak. Everybody's ministers are lying. Comedians are scared, won't crack jokes, running around. Uh, supporting this BS and, and, and my whole mission here, one nation under God, we got to get yeah. back to that and then yeah. let things grow from there. But this path we're on right now, we are one nation under Satan mm. and uh, common sense and truth have been illegalized. Yeah. Common sense and truth have been illegalized and lies have been legalized. And it is driving me insane. Delano, this is this whole segment is why I call you the smartest man on the show, because you actually are the smartest man on the show. (laughs) Uh, But appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. We're going to pick back up on this one nation uh, conversation. Uh, Hotep Jesus is just around the corner. You know, I'm going to ask him about his name. Uh, Hotep Jesus, when we when we get there. Hold on, before I go, though. Jay, I, we done said a mouthful. You got anything you want to add? I said a mouthful. I probably don't have <laughs> enough time to get everything out, but uh, just a couple of things. Yeah. Going back to uh, Mr. Nick Cannon. If you if you listen to the interview, I know you guys saying he, he made some statements about the woman leading, but Nick Cannon is actually a leader. Every woman he's had a kid with, he is taking care of them. Uh, he's taking care of them. Keep they going, keep going. They don't I'm want for to- nothing. They don't want for nothing. He is in a, he's in a position where everything can come to him. So the shows he shoot could be in L.A., San Diego, wherever he is. The women and the kids, they don't want for nothing. That's your contention. No, no. I'm, far, I'm financial. I ain't get to the other part yet. Okay, yeah. Now, financially, they don't want for nothing. He take care of the household, yeah. food, house, this, that, and other. Uh, he did say, I, I don't miss a baseball game. I don't miss a practice. I don't miss any of those things. And I, and I came to that concept like, how is that possible with seven kids? But I said, when he's a boss in the businesses he run, all his business could be in the same area where all his children are. So if he got to shoot out of there at 2 o'clock to be somewhere, he can do that. Now, I will agree with you on this. Now, is it possible that he going to be able to – if? If two kids got something going on at the same time, it's impossible that he can possibly do that. It's very impossible, especially with the children he has uh, that's close in age. Jay, did you listen to Delano? Because and 
You and your wife got three kids. Yeah, we got three kids. All in your house. All well, one is not in my house, but she's in my house. She's there all the time. So it, <laughs> the the my point. Look, what kids want is daddy, daddy. They don't want to have to pick up a phone. They don't want right. to have to FaceTime. Right. Is the point he's making? Like when they get sick at night, they want mama and daddy there. Right. They, there's a feeling of safety of having. There's a lot Nick Cannon cannot provide in that situation and trust. Just like I said in the deal, they're going to pay a price for that. We have reduced everything to money. Oh, we can financially do that. I've had a lot of money, have a significant amount of money. Uh, I've been flat broke. I would rather me and my father have lived in that one bedroom, 400 square foot apartment together than having a bunch of money and us not living together. That that would have been preferable. And hell, I was grown and could take care of myself. This was my senior year of high school when I moved in with my father uh, and could take care of myself. But that little situation there for, for me and him, my senior year of high school, It's one of the greatest experiences of my life. Didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on it over the years, like, wow, that's where I, and look, I lived with my father up until age five. My parents got divorced. My father stayed involved in my life. He remarried. I was very close to his, my stepmother, my stepbrother and sister. So I always had a connection, a pretty strong connection, but living with him, even at age 17, 18, that senior year, in poverty, and you know, if my father wasn't a hustler, my God, we lived in some real poverty. One of the greatest experiences of my life, just being there with him, me and him, the conversations we had, the wisdom that he imparted on, on a nightly basis, incredible. But I don't, oh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, Hotep Jesus, just around the corner. Welcome back. All right, let's roll out and bring in Hotep Jesus, a.k.a. Brian Sharp. He's a tech entrepreneur, a friend of mine over Twitter. He's been on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. He's written a book, I believe. Uh, I've been on Hotep's uh, podcast. Brian, Brian, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. And the first thing I need you to do for my audience Mm. and uh, for my audience, explain what being a hotep is. Mm. Excellent common question. And I'd love to uh, tell you the the meaning or the origins. Um, First of all, this wasn't something that we created. This was created by the political black female left. During the time of the Mike Brown murder, Trayvon Martin, these things that were happening, the rise of Black Lives Matter came about. Black feminism was blooming in its third phase. And when I provided my solutions, my capitalist, black capitalist, black nationalist solutions, they labeled us hotep. I'm like, you can't be a hotep. It means peace, satisfaction, so on and so forth. 
But they hurled the invective comments, made it a pejorative. We reclaimed what the ancestors had created and we became Hotep Nation. Now, as Hotep Nation likes to uh, instill in other people, uh, Thaddeus Russell interview with him. He succinctly defined it as self-mastery. And that's how we push the term Hotep or Hotep Nation. That's how we brand ourselves to master yourself. And a lot of your problems will be alleviated. Mm. All right. So why do you call yourself Hotep Jesus? Okay, so that's not an endonym. That's an exonym. Same thing. Uh, It started out as a joke. Somebody was saying, oh, my God, you think you're some sort of Hotep Jesus? And I heard when I saw it on my screen because this was on Twitter. I saw it. I said, Hotep Jesus, that kind of got a ring to it. And I thought about it for about five, ten minutes. Changed all the branding up, trademarked it, said, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm bringing you on because you wrote a piece about Brittany Jenner, the Instagram model. Brittany uh, Renner, yes, yes, yes. Got in a relationship with PJ Washington and they Mm -hmm. had a kid. Now they've broken up. Now they're bickering back and forth and there's rumors that he may have to pay an exorbitant child support fee as much as 200,000, which is exaggerated and not true. But we discussed it yesterday. I saw your column and I just wanted to get another perspective on it. Uh, You say and 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 for my well, keep it as real as you want to keep keep it because we keep it pretty real. But you you say the price of of uh, the magic cookie is over and mm-hmm. is overinflated. There's there's whole inflation. Anyway, explain your point of view. Yes. Yes. We are in the middle of a pudenda bubble. The price of the pudenda has been super inflated. We call it hoflation. And really, this has been uh, inflated by the simps. It's the simps that have through their likes. You see, back in the day, Jason, a six to a seven acted like a six or a seven. She knew she was a six or seven and she acted like it. Today, the six or sevens, they know they're six or sevens, but they act like nines and tens. See, back in the day when a woman wanted her attention cup filled, she had to actually leave the house, get dressed up, leave the house. Guys would catcall and that's how she would get her attention. Today, women get their attention via likes and online. And then they even monetize these things and uh, start making a rather great income for themselves. And then through this income, they're actually out earning their male counterparts in in certain age groups. So these simps are actually pricing themselves out of the dating market because these women have to then date up. So you've increased the price of the pudenda. And this is all simps fault. And I have three laws we can cover really fast, but that's the problem. Yeah, I want you talked about your man laws and and uh, the unbreakable rules of masculinity. Yes, uh, and I believe you. That's in an actual book. Am I correct? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. I've written three. The of unbreakable them. laws of masculinity. Yeah. yeah, go over your man laws that you feel like P.J. Washington perhaps has violated. Okay, this is uh, three laws that most men, especially young men, violate. The first one's the toughest one. Do not give her your seed. She's not worth it. You have to make these women work for the seed because once you give them the seed, that's what they're looking to cash in on. Got you for 18 years, as Kanye would say. 
So you can't do that. Now, Brittany Renner, we all know she, she's not ugly <laughs> by any means. So I do not fault P.J. Washington for dipping his hand in the cookie jar. I fault him for providing her with the seed. Now, in the in the in the digital age, it's in a man's benefit because you can do research on these women. You can pull up their tweets and the history and all the things they've done online. She has a tell all book about what she's done and slept around in the industry with entertainers, so on and so forth. So PJ, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, he got set up, da 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 da. Like, maybe, maybe. But the, the signs were there. The signs were there not to put his seed inside his woman. She even has a video out where she's talking about, oh, athletes are dumb. You know, they don't wear condoms and you can get one for 18 years. He didn't do his research. That's a that's another law. That's probably man law. law number written. two. <laughs> man law number two is <laughs> that's actually four, actually. Now, man. Do your research. Man law number four, do your research on these women. Got to do your research, especially in the digital age. Know who you're dealing with. Man law number two, never enter a committed relationship with a woman you haven't been through all four seasons with and the first three months do not count. You can't even make her your girlfriend within these first 12 months. The first three months don't count because that's the honeymoon phase and she's going to be her perfect self during this period. (laughs) <laughs> you're going to be dealing with her representative. You're dealing with a facade. This is where women tell the most white lies is in that first three months. You got to wait till she, you get on her nerves a little bit. You got to go through all four seasons with this one before you enter into any commitment. I, PJ Washington got caught up in that honeymoon phase and you see what happened. She's erased his, his, his image off of her thing. She's getting booked for events. She back out there. <laughs> and I saw this coming. Man law number uh, three. Game for a man is being able to get the pudenda without sharing his resources. Game for a woman is being able to reserve her pudenda and still get a man's resources. A lot of men put their resources forward to get the pudenda and think they got game. No, that's not game. That's the whole point. She wants your resources. Women are professional resource extractors. <laughs> if you can preserve your resources <laughs> and still get the pudenda, then you got game. Otherwise, you ain't got game. Mm. You know, that last point uh, uh, hits home for me yesterday. I was at the car dealership. I needed uh, some service done on my car and a young lady walked by and and I made it a point not to get out of my car until she was directly in front of my car. I wanted her to see my resources and you know my car. And so you're really here. I'm glad you just uh you know helped me reassess cuz you know well, I eventually got can- out of the car, had a little brief chat. Uh, you can flash can the t- resources. Based off what you're telling I went about this all wrong. Yeah. Well, no, no. You can flash yeah. the resources. She has to know you have them. But she can't get them. She can experience the resources, gotcha. but she can't have them. But it's okay to say, look, babe, you see how I'm doing? You see the suit? You see the watch? You see the car? Yeah. Now, 
what you gonna do for it? <laughs> and that's the problem. You know, men lower that bar. You gotta be expensive. You gotta make them work for that. You could have this life, baby, but you gotta put the time. Brian, plug your podcast and show. Tell yeah. everybody how they can access it and, and more of your work. One of the best personalities on social media, Hotep Jesus. I, to be honest, I told Brian when I first met him, I hate calling you Hotep Jesus, but, you know, <laughs> why not? If, if. <laughs> Hotep Go ahead, Jesus Brian. Go ahead and plug yourself. <laughs> well, already know, yeah. as we're talking about <laughs> Unbreakable Rules of Masculinity. Also, I just published my history book. Patriot Report, Unmasking the Conspiracy of Money and War. If you want to know about the history of banks, all go, dating all the way back to the uh, 16th century, you go get that document, the Patriot Report, hotepjesus.com, hotepjesus on YouTube. Come check me out, man. It's, it's, it's real, real enriching information over here. I'm going to follow up with you uh, by the middle of next week because Brian's one of the smartest guys in the tech industry. And he's, he's you know, you got to, the, the pack, the nickname and the packaging makes you think, what's Brian about? But when you talk to this dude, he's one of the smartest guys in the tech industry. And just and he he presents his life philosophy with a bit of humor. But the yeah. guy's actually very, very smart. He's worth listening to. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Hotep. Thank you for having me, man. I'm going to call him Hotep Brian. All right, appreciate it. All right, stick around. Don't go anywhere. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Greg Couch and I are about to go to war over Art Browse and Baylor University in the NCAA. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Chicago and bring in Uncle Jimmy's favorite sports writer, and a man that uh, I think wants to have an argument with me about Art Browse and the Baylor football scandal. Of course, you guys, we talked about it yesterday. The NCAA announced yesterday that there's nothing they can do uh, in relation to Art Browse. Baylor's taken all the steps. They fired Art Browse. They fired the school president. They fired the athletic director. There was nothing for the NCAA to do to Baylor or Art Browse. But uh, Greg and I got into an argument yesterday about Art Browse. He's written a follow-up column uh, today about Art Browse, titled Former Baylor Football Coach Coach Art Browse Mistakenly Believes NCAA's Lack of Power Exonerates Him. Couch, uh, come back in and tell me why it's a good thing that Art Browse has been scapegoated and fired and run out of football. How is this helping, healing Baylor, America, the culture at large? It's, it's helping him. It's helping the school by firing him because it's telling all the other women on campus and the victims on that campus that the school cares. The school gives a damn about them and whether they got hurt or not. It also sends messages out to recruits out there uh, and young women who might come to Baylor that, hey, this is a dangerous place, but we're doing everything we can. You know that I'm a, a head tennis coach at a university in downtown Chicago, and there's a lot of uh, 
obviously, you know, impressions of Chicago as a violent place. My school happens to be in a really nice area right off the lake. But, um, you know, I take each recruit into that school and their parents and show them that when you're going to your dorm room, you got to pass a security guard. you got to swipe your pass. you got to get on one elevator up to a different elevator, pass another security guard, swipe your pass, another elevator. And that's all to show them that safety matters to us, right? I can't necessarily stop every little thing that's going to go on in those dorm rooms, but I can tell them that safety matters, their safety matters, and it's important to me. And that's what uh, I'm here for, to take care of them and to help them have a healthy environment that they can grow up in, basically. So, Greg, and I went and refreshed my memory from yesterday about my thoughts about Art Browse. And, and my thoughts on Baylor are no different than my thoughts on Chicago or Muncie, Indiana or Nashville, Tennessee or Vanderbilt University, any of it. It's all the same. Baylor had a campus wide problem. There were if I refresh my memory, there were like 100 allegations. They had an investigation they paid for and there were 100 allegations of campus sexual abuse. I think under their initial report, nine of them involved Baylor football players out of 100. So they had a campus-wide problem. Everybody focused on the nine allegations against Baylor football players. And, and, and the other part of my memory that was refreshed is that the Wall Street Journal came in after a PR firm was hired and floated this story about these 17 allegations. And the next thing you know, uh, Art Browse is leading a corrupt program and all he's got all these players that are doing all this sexual harassment and sexual assault. And, and, and let's blame Art Browse for the nine or 10 allegations, not proven allegations. And to me, the people that should be blamed are the perpetrators because, and I go back to my own college football playing days, and my head coach, Paul Shadell, who I don't even particularly like that much, but he did everything in his power to steer us in the proper direction and behavior on campus, off campus, on the field, everything. But he couldn't control me. He couldn't control my teammates. I could tell story after story after story, and I've told some of them. Me and a teammate almost got in a fight with some uh, townies that drove by us and called us in where my teammate is standing out there, unbeknownst to me, I just looked to the side. This dude's holding an Uzi. I thought we were about to go fist fight. He had popped the trunk of his car, popped an Uzi out, and, and, and I ran home. I literally did. I was like, I looked at him, ran to my home, my apartment uh, to get away. Guy's one of my best friends to this day. He's a great human being. I'm just telling where he was at at 19, 20 years old, not the same person. But I can't put that on Paul Shadell, our head football coach. That's on, I'm not going to say his name, but it's on him. And so whatever Baylor football player participated in sexual assault, I think that's on him just like the 90 other allegations are on the frat guys or whoever else did that, there's not some magical adult that can stop them from doing illegal things. And I just told a friend about, I just told you a story about my friend. I could tell you stories about things I did in college that again, wasn't on my parents, 
wasn't on my football coach, it was on me. That's why I think Art Browse is being unfairly scapegoated. It's like we're acting like the head coach can control these individuals throughout their entire day at, at the University of Baylor or any place. It just can't, that, that can't happen. I've, I've said a mouthful, but I'm sorry. You got me fired up. <laughs> I think your argument is self-contradictory. I think you're talking about going, I'm talking about setting a culture, showing that the culture and the environment matter. You're talking about let's get rid of the individuals who are committing the crimes. And yet at the same time, you're saying there's a cultural and environmental problem. And yet I'm sitting here saying, let's go after the culture and environment. And you're, you're just throwing that out like it, it doesn't even exist. I don't think your argument is holding water with its own argument, with your own self. The, the schools have to send a message that they care. They, that's what a president does. He sets an environment. He sets a culture. And so if they think that the culture isn't right, they have to, to do something about it to warn everyone. When you're, when you're looking at one rape, let's say, or an assault in a frat house or something, do you go after the frat house? Do you go after the president of the frat, the whole the Greek system? Maybe, maybe not. But if you start getting into multiple examples of it, then you, you think that there's a bad culture there and you have to go after the culture. You have to show everyone that you care. So I, I, don't, I don't agree with your argument and I think you're actually arguing with yourself. I would say this about the culture of frat houses as it relates to sexual assault, as it relates to excessive drinking, as it relates to illegal drugs, all of it far worse than the football, basketball teams, the people in the headlines. Every college kid, and I covered college sports, and again, I played college sports. Every college campus that I, I pretty much know, the fraternities have a culture, and that's why women are coached. Sorority girls are given a list of rules. When you enter this frat house, make sure there's always another girl with you. Make sure if you go to the bathroom, you don't go by yourself. They, they have all kinds of rules to protect themselves from the predators that they know are inside those frat houses, drinking, using drugs, the whole nine yards, looking to take advantage of women. And it's more pervasive throughout the frat culture, in my view, than the sports culture. I don't think Art Browse, just like Things happen consistently at these fraternity houses. Every campus has this problem. That's why sorority girls, you got a daughter, she'll go off to college. I guarantee you if she goes off to college, that somebody's going to pass her this list of rules. Oh, man, you going to the, that frat house? Here's these list of rules you need to follow to make sure you don't get raped. Ain't nobody at the frat house being scapegoated the way they did Art Browse. I don't think there's any real proof that he did anything to contribute to a culture of sexual uh, assault with the Baylor football team. Because in my experience, the, the, the things that his kids get caught up in, but for the grace of God, there goes every football program in the country. That doesn't mean we don't overlook it. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean we should overlook it. But 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 to single one guy out and to make him a pariah like he can't coach, like he, he was sitting there passing out condoms and here's guys here. Here's how you sexually assault somebody. Or he was he wasn't taking the allegations seriously. I just haven't seen any proof of that. 
And and I just don't like scapegoating because when you scapegoat one individual, you never address the culture. America has a sexual assault culture and environment that I just don't think gets fixed or improved by scapegoating football coaches or football players. Because and this was part of my argument at the time with Art Browse. Baylor used Art Browse and black football players to say, yeah, that's the problem. Then black football players, blah, blah. The rest of the campus don't ignore everything else. These other 90 sexual assaults that go, went on, and Baylor's a small campus. It's not some, you know, it's not a mega school with 40,000 students. But these other 90 allegations, you know, we fixed it. You know, these black football players are going to jail and we fired their coach. That's my problem. Well, they didn't scapegoat Art Bryles. They also fired the athletic director. They also fired the president of the university or, or forced him out. And so there are other people involved here. It's not just one guy. And, you know, what you're actually getting into is a, maybe even a bigger issue as to what our whole justice system, what's happening to our whole justice system, because you don't trust any of the institutions. We, you're not trusting Baylor when it says that Bryles looked the other way anytime women came to him and said, I've got a problem. You're not trusting Baylor's word. You're not trusting the NCAA's word. You're not trusting the media's word. You're not trusting the police's word. You're not trusting the court's word. So the institutions are all shot. I mean, you know, it's a it's a pretty serious issue that you're bringing up here. And I think that you, you're still sending a message out when you allow Art Bryles, when everyone is saying that he's looking the other way and you allow him to continue to be the coach. I mean, it's not really just a matter of whether he broke a rule or whether he broke a law or not. Coaches are leaders. Coaches are supposed to be setting an example. And I think that if he's not setting the example the school thinks he should be setting, they should let him go. And the other thing is that you're not taking into account is that the football team brings more attention to the school than anything else. You have to maybe get the big scalp uh, to to send the message out louder to, to everybody else than if you just you know, go get the head of the English department. I think the, the, the fact that the football program does represent the school in a larger than life way than other institutions on the campus, the fraternities, thing, that's a great point. Here's what I'll say that every school president knows, everybody that follows college football and basketball in a real way. <clears throat> These programs from the University of Miami to the University of Florida to Baylor to any of these football programs that rise to the top deal with more at-risk kids than their competitors. And so that's why an Urban Meyer could have all that success he had at the University of Florida and Aaron Hernandez. They had all kinds of criminal problems while he was at the University of Florida. Crime rose within their football program as those national championship banners got hung. And, and, and I say that not in any way to demonize Urban Meyer. I know Urban Meyer, just like you knew at one time when we were both covering the Big 12, the Big 8, Tom Osborne in Nebraska. There's nobody that's going to convince me that Tom Osborne was a bad person and that he 
put together a program. And again, from Lawrence Phillips to Christian Peter, they had problems at Nebraska while they're chasing national titles and they had a lot of issues. But I personally don't believe I can lay that at the feet of Tom Osborne. I think Tom Osborne was trying to be a good Christian, a good leader, uh, trying to work with people that were at risk. Yes, did he definitely want to win? Absolutely. But I just think what Art Browse was doing at Baylor, I've seen done all over the country with all kinds of coaches we've celebrated. Not defending, but hell, you you brought Joe Paterno into it yesterday. And, you know, there's accusations to believe, wow, what he overlooked to win while casting himself as a, a paragon of virtue. This is pervasive throughout college sports, but also what's pervasive throughout college campuses where young people are partying, drinking to excess, using illicit drugs. And we've got this really highly sexualized culture. Woo! Putting this on a football coach and acting like Art Browse is a till of the hun and he can never be involved with coaching again. I just think the punishment for Art Browse far outweighs his crimes. I mean, if his crime is actually what all of our institutions say it is, that he looked the other way when people were reporting sexual assaults to him, I don't see how you can say that. I mean, these just saying someone comes from a bad, rough background doesn't forgive them for coming in and behaving badly. You, you're always talking about how people need to be, you know, lifting themselves by their books, bootstraps and taking their responsibility for their own actions. And now you're just sort of it seems like you're giving them a pass. If Bryles is looking the other way when women were being assaulted, he needs to go. And I don't see why the school and the Board of Regents and everyone shouldn't also be trying to get their hands involved and try to make a safety a priority on these campuses. Well, just to be clear, I've actually said in this discussion, the players who are accusing these crimes should be held responsible. Not so much Art Browse. I've been very clear on that, that the individuals, the perpetrators should be held responsible. As it relates to Art Browse, again, I keep there's this. As someone who has been written about by blogs, corporate media, they can. Oh, he looked the other way when this or that happened. Allegedly. There's been a narrative crafted because once again, in my view, and, and, and I appreciate the discussion and debate. I, I hope people have found it interesting. I certainly have. But I'm, I guess the thing I'm not moving off of is Baylor had a cultural problem across campus. They used Art Browse and some black football players. They, oh, we fixed it. Things are better. Your daughter can feel safe coming here now because we got Art Browse and we fired everybody over at the athletic department. It's all good now. And it's a convenient excuse. Rather than dealing with the entire problem and culture and trying to address that, I just think it's easy to blame the football coaches. But we've gone round and round about it. You should go read Greg's column at blaze.com. It's very good. I disagree with it, but it's very good. 
Thank you, Greg. Thank you. All right, we're going to do our approval rating of Uncle Jimmy. Welcome back. Time for our approval rating, and I cannot wait for this one. You saw Jay and Uncle Jimmy battling at the beginning of the show. Uh, Uncle Jimmy making it quite clear. Uh, he's a little jealous, I think, Jay, or he's a little nervous. That's what I heard. I heard some jealousy <laughs> and some nervousness. Yeah, yeah. So I can't wait to hear how Jay approves or disapproves of Uncle Jimmy uh, I'm going to keep it all the way real. Uh, in terms of job performance, you know what they say in sports, Jay? You know what the number one ability is? Availability. Oh, you know. <laughs> had to be there. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I've got Uncle Jimmy at a zero. He's not available. How could his job performance be any good? I got him at 25 because he's not available. <laughs> that works out great for me. <laughs> Stay where you at, Uncle Jimmy. Stay where you at. Oh, all right. All right. I see how this is going to play. Uh, character. This man's done called in sick all week. We send a camera out to his house. He's suited and booted. Looks like he's at a hotel somewhere laid up with the blue M&Ms or something. <laughs> I'm questioning... Uh, his integrity here or honesty here, uh, a four in character. I think he's uh, playing games about being sick. I gave him a 25. He played a hell out of a role. (laughs) The way he acting right now, oh, yeah, 25 perfection. Oh, you kind of like, that's how Uncle Jimmy does. He's always big on are they playing the character. That's the same as him. Authenticity. Uh, I will give Jimmy a perfect score here in authenticity. He does keep it real, almost to a fault sometimes. Uh, I'll give him a 25 for realness and authenticity. I give him a 15. I mean, he all right. He don't keep it as real as I would. Oh. But he all right. Oh, you, you, know, you it gets realer than Uncle Jimmy. You would keep it realer than I keep Jimmy. it real, Uncle Jimmy. You heard that hating he was spewing out earlier. He just an old hater. All right. So, uh, and then in terms of it factor, uh, look, he—he's not heavy D. He's not the—he's the lover of overweight. I was gonna say the overweight lovers. Well, no, he is heavy D. He's the overweight lover in the house. He loves overweight women. They love him. He's got some kind of—he, he, you know—he attracts women like. Shit does flies. <laughs> That's all I can think of. So I'm going to give him a 24 for it factor. I'm giving him a 20 for it factor because he loved the big women. He loved the thickies and he keep a thickie around them. Mm. So I'm going to give him a 20 for that. Got you. All right. So I have Uncle Jimmy at a 53. He's candlelit. Uh, somehow I, Jay has him as a smoke show 85, but I think that's, Jay saying that... Uh, a little bit of sarcasm there. Yeah. <laughs> Be blazing hot if you were actually in that chair uh, uh, full time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Jay, thank you so much for uh, bailing us out and bailing Uncle Jimmy out these past two days. Really right. appreciate it. 
Uh, I hope we'll spray you down for COVID because you've been sitting yeah. in Jimmy's chair for two days. Uh, spray me down and lights off. <laughs> I'm going to need it. <laughs> all right, that's it, and that's all for us. Have a great weekend. And listen to my girl tomorrow sing about freedom. My sister, no relation, we all just want to have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone I'll break my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free We want freedom I just want, I want to be I just want, I want to be I just want, I want to be I just want